Greetings to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the Sunday School Podcast for September 4th, 2022, the 13th Sunday after Pentecost. And today we're looking at Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 12, the story of Cain murdering his brother Abel. This, of course, is early on in the Bible. It's only the fourth chapter of the first book. This is early on in the creation and the history of the world. Adam and Eve have have just fallen uh, into sin after eating the forbidden fruit in Genesis chapter 3. And following their sin, the Lord has walked to them in the garden, called them, And he's announced consequences because of their sin, but he's also promised them a savior. And in Genesis chapter uh, 3, verse 15, he's declared to to Satan, actually, that he is as good as defeated already by saying, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between her seed and your seed, He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now, the ESV says your offspring and her offspring, but seed is actually a better translation. Um, And and, and there, the Lord is actually declaring that in the future, a woman will give birth to a male child, and that male child will defeat Satan, will crush his head in, in, in victory. That chapter ends, and Genesis 4 begins with Adam and Eve outside of the garden and cherubim guarding the entrance to the, uh, the garden and access to the tree of life so Adam and Eve cannot return there. So Genesis 4 begins, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. So Adam and Eve have two sons. God's gift of procreation remains after the fall into sin. And when the first one is born, he is named Cain. Now, Cain is closely related to the the verb in Hebrew for got. And this goes along with Eve saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Now, this might simply be an acknowledgement that, uh, that God's blessing of children is still, is, is still happening despite the fall into sin. God said, be fruitful and multiply. And despite the fall into sin, Adam and Eve are, are now being fruitful and multiplying. But there are other possibilities, too. Where Eve says, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord, that's adding a couple words here that are not in the Hebrew. And in fact, when Martin Luther, who was a brilliant Hebrew scholar, translated this, he translated word for word so that Eve says, I have gotten a man, the Lord. And it's entirely possible that Eve, remembering God's promise that the woman would give birth to a male child who would defeat the devil, thinks that Cain is that man. 
I've gotten a man, the Lord, exclaims Eve, literally in the Hebrew. And Luther says, so perhaps Eve thinks that Cain is, in fact, already the Lord made flesh who will defeat Satan and and, and reverse the curse. Well, at any rate, um, Cain proves not to be the Savior. He's not the one who who dies for sin. He is, in fact, the one who first kills um, out of sinful anger. But he is the firstborn of Adam and Eve, and they name him Cain. Got. I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Once again, Eve gives birth, and this time the boy's name is Abel. And Abel means breath or vapor. And when Luther writes about this in his, in his just wonderful Genesis commentary, he says that Adam and Eve have so much confidence that Cain is the guy that Abel is an afterthought, so they name him breath or vapor because breaths don't last very long. Think of, of Psalm 144 verse 4, which says, man is like a breath, his days are like a passing shadow. And so Luther holds that Abel is named uh, is named Abel or breath because he's just an afterthought after Cain, the one gotten from the Lord, is born. We don't know if that's Adam and Eve's thinking or not, but certainly as it turns out, Abel's life is like a breath because so so quickly he's he's murdered by his his brother Cain. But now we have Adam and Eve and their two sons, Cain and Abel, got and breath. Verse 2, the second part goes on to read, Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So as Abel and Cain grow up, Abel becomes a keeper of sheep or a shepherd, and Cain a worker of the ground. So, so Cain follows in the footsteps of, of his father, Adam. Adam, of course, was, was, um, was one who was given to till the ground and to work the crops. Um, that, was, that was sort of his, his vocation given by God even before the fall. Abel takes on the role of a keeper of sheep. He is a shepherd. Um, and, and we're not quite sure all that they're using sheep for here, other than that Cain, or rather Abel, brings sheep for sacrifice. So already making offerings to God. So it's significant that Cain, who will kill his brother Abel, is following the footsteps of his father Adam, who who brings sin into the world. And it's significant that Abel is a keeper of sheep. He's a shepherd. And so the first one to to, to die because of sin, the first one to have his blood shed because of sin is a shepherd. And this, of course, points towards Christ, the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. We'll have a bit more of a comparison of that later on. 
Both Cain and Abel bring offerings to the Lord. Cain brings an offering of the fruit of the ground, some of his crops. Abel brings the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. So Cain brings part of the harvest. Abel brings more than just part of his flock. He brings the firstborn, which could very well indicate that he has has trust in the future generations, that that God will continue to provide more and more sheep throughout the years. And so the, uh, the firstborn can be sacrificed to the Lord. And also Abel brings the fat portions of the sheep to to sacrifice. And, and of course, the fat is, is the, uh, the best smelling part of the meat when it's barbecued. It's the best tasting part of the meat. Um, and, and, and so the, long before in Leviticus, the fat portions are commanded to be sacrificed. Abel is offering the fat portions of the sheep to God to show his love for God. And this is important because we read the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. The difference here is not that Abel offers sheep and Cain offers crops. Later on at the tabernacle in the temple, God will command grain offerings. And so um, crops, grain is sacrificed to God at the temple, and he accepts that. He, he, he delights in those sacrifices. So the difference is not that Cain offers plants and Abel offers sheep. The difference is faith. And already we've seen that this text hints at that, because while Cain just brings an offering from his harvest, Abel offers the firstborn and the fat of those sheep, indicating he's kind of set aside the best parts for God. But this is also confirmed in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, where we read, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. So why does God have regard for Abel and his offerings? Because Abel offers them by faith. It's not that Abel outwits Cain and gives a better offering by saying, I'll give a better offering than Cain. Abel gives a better offering because he has faith in God, because he has faith in God's promises, and therefore he has a love for God. So Abel gives a better offering because he believes in God and his promises, whereas according to Hebrews, Cain does not. Cain offers his grain offering because it's just what he's supposed to do. Cain gives his offering by faith in God's promises, by faith in the gospel. Cain makes his offering of grain out of works, out of wanting to do what has to be done. God recognizes Abel's offering because it's given by faith in his promises, even as God recognizes our works as good because we live by faith in his promises. God doesn't recognize Cain's offering because Cain has no faith in God. 
And Cain's reaction reflects his lack of faith. We read in the second part of verse 5, So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. He's not just annoyed or, or irritated or disappointed. He's so angry that it shows on his face right away. He's, he's, he's furious. Verse 6, The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. So the Lord speaks to Cain. We're not quite sure how. It could be that God speaks to Cain directly. Um, in in uh, Luther's commentary, he says that God speaks to Cain through Adam, his father. At any rate, the message is, is from the Lord to Cain. Why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? Now, that first trips some people up because it sounds like God is saying, I will accept you if you do good works. But that's not what the Hebrew specifically means. And in fact, early on before Jesus was born, there was already this Greek version of the Old Testament called the Septuagint, which translates, translates this, if you offer rightly. So if you offer sacrifices rightly, will you not be accepted? Which is a better translation because what it means is this. How do you offer a right sacrifice? By faith. So when God says to Cain in the ESV, if you do well, he's saying, if you have faith and act out of faith, will you not be accepted? And the answer is yes. God accepts us because he gives us faith to believe in him and our good works reflect that. So this is not God saying you have to work better at pleasing me by your sacrifices. He's calling Cain to repentance. He's calling Cain to turn from his sin and to trust in him. If you do not do well, says God, if you do not repent, if you do not believe, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you. Sin wants to rule over you. Sin wants to destroy you. Sin wants to keep you from believing in me. You must resist that. You must rule over it, says God. Turn to me and live. I want to emphasize this one more time. When God speaks to Cain, he's not saying you got to do better at your works. He's calling him to repentance, to turn from sin, and to turn to faith. If he turns to faith, his works will reflect the faith he has, and God will count his works as good works. If he doesn't repent, sin seeks to rule over him, and his works will be bad, and they will only get worse. And you know what happens. They only get worse. We read on in verse 8. 
and following, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Some ancient manuscripts, by the way, add um, that Cain said to Abel, let us go into the plain, um, which is not the same as the wilderness. It's um, where, where the fields would be for, for planting and harvesting. At any rate, when, when uh, Cain has spoken to Abel, his brother, whatever his exact words were, they go out together in the field and there Cain rises up against his brother Abel and kills him. Now, we, uh, we, we don't know durations of time here. So, is Abel missing for a while? Are the parents concerned that they haven't seen Abel for a bit? How long is it before God speaks to Cain? We don't know. Um, but there appears to be a little bit of time going by because of the way the Lord frames his question. And again, this might be the Lord speaking to Cain through his father, Adam. Martin Luther is very big on that, and he has reasons for, for being so. But we read in verse 9, Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? So the Lord says to Cain, where is Abel your brother? Which is similar to his first words to Adam after the fall into sin. There he cried out, where are you? And now it is, where is Abel your brother? Because the Lord desires to be with his people and the Lord desires that his people be with him. When Adam sinned, he and Eve went and hid. And now that Abel is is dead, he is no longer with the living. And so in that respect, he is is farther from, from God. Where is Abel your brother, says the Lord? And if he says that through Adam, he can bet that Adam, where are you, is also echoing in Adam's ears. Cain responds, I do not know, am I my brother's keeper? In other words, Cain is saying, am I responsible for my brother? Am I responsible for his life? And that's really a a tragically ironic cover-up because Cain is his brother's keeper, but instead he is responsible for Abel's death. And while Cain might try to cover this up, even as, as Adam and Eve hemmed and hawed when they sinned, he can't fool the Lord. And so in verse 10, we read this, And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. So once again, this this echoes the Lord speaking to Adam and Eve after the fall into sin. As he asked them, have you eaten from the tree? Now he asks Cain, 
what have you done? And the testimony against Cain is that the voice of of Abel's blood cries to God from the ground. So God will later say that that the blood is the life of a creature. And and here um, Abel's blood is portrayed as crying out to God as a witness against Cain. And this once again reminds us that... um, that as Abel's blood is shed because of sin, so Christ's blood is shed to redeem us from sin. And so we have that marvelous verse in the Lent hymn, Glory Be to Jesus, Abel's blood for vengeance pleaded to the skies, but the blood of Jesus for our pardon cries. Where Abel's blood called out, and accused Cain of sin, of murder. Jesus' blood calls out for our pardon, for our forgiveness, because he, he dies in the place of Cain and all sinners so that we might turn and believe and be saved. So, the Lord knows what Cain has done, He has shed the blood of his brother. The blood testifies to that. And the Lord declares two consequences for Cain. One, where Cain has been a farmer in the past, where he's worked the soil and brought a harvest, now working the ground will no longer yield its strength. Working the ground will no longer produce for Cain. He can try to farm, But the crops aren't going to grow for him anymore, not like they once did. Furthermore, rather than stay in one place and farm fields, Cain will now be a fugitive and a wanderer. Because he has killed Abel, because he has cut off Abel from the family from the community as small as it is, from the congregation as small as it is. Now Cain is still alive, but he will be cut off from that community as well. He will be on his own, a fugitive and a wanderer. Because sin has consequences, and eventually, if we do not repent, sin cuts us off from the family of God and from God himself. Now, that's where our Sunday school lesson is scheduled to end. But a couple more verses here to to end uh, the, the story of Cain. We read in verse 13, Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Now note there is no repentance here in what what Cain has to say. Rather, he is complaining about the punishment he receives for murdering his brother. My punishment is too great. I'm going to be a fugitive and a wanderer, and whoever finds me will kill me. And how does the Lord respond to this? In verse 15, Then the Lord said to him, 
Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Despite Cain's sin, and despite Cain's obstinate lack of repentance, the Lord still protects Cain. He still has mercy. He declares with his word that whoever harms Cain, whoever kills Cain, shall suffer vengeance sevenfold. It doesn't mean getting killed seven times. Rather, um, the Lord will see to it that revenge is, or vengeance is, is, uh, is exercised. And then the Lord also places a mark on Cain so that those who see Cain know that uh, he is protected by the Lord. What is that mark? There's a lot of speculation about that, sometimes really bad speculation. And the answer is, we simply do not know how the Lord marked Cain. We simply know that the Lord did mark Cain. So now we read, Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So because of his sin and because of his lack of repentance, Cain departs from the Lord. Um, He goes away from the presence of the Lord, which is not just a geographical shift. Rather, he continues to be unrepentant and, and, and rebellious against the Lord and his promises. Along with leaving the Lord's presence, he settles in the land of Nod. And the word Nod means wandering. So it's not that he has so much a, uh, a fixed address, at least not for now, but rather he is settled as a nomad in a land that is east of Eden. So what are our takeaways from this as, as, we, as we know that the Old Testament always points to Christ? Again, we have Cain acting as one who follows in his sinful father's footsteps. Adam brings sin into the world by rebelling against God and then tries to deny his guilt when God confronts him. Cain, as an inheritor of that original sin, kills his brother and then tries to deny his guilt and responsibility before God. Now, you and I may not be murderers, God forbid, but we are still sinners. And as Cain followed in Adam's footsteps and continue to live in a life of sin. So you and I are born apart from grace, ready to live a life of sin apart from God as well. Abel, however, gives us hope in that during his life, however short or long that may have been, Abel lives by faith. Although he also has a sinful nature like his brother Cain, He still trusts in the Lord, 
And we know this because the Lord accepts his sacrifices. The Lord regards Abel's sacrifices, his offerings and work as good because Abel trusts in his promises. He has faith in the Messiah who is to come. So Abel is an example of a man of faith very early on in the Old Testament. And so we too seek to live by faith in God's promises as Abel did. But more than that, more than just a good example, Abel is a type of Christ. Because once again, Abel is the first one who dies because of sin. And so the first one to have his his blood shed because of sin is a keeper of sheep, a shepherd. And this foreshadows Christ, our good shepherd, who lays down his life for the sheep who sheds his blood as an offering to God so that you and I might be redeemed. Abel's blood for vengeance pleaded to the skies, but the blood of Jesus for our pardon cries. And that's the hope that we have, that we still face trouble and sin in this world, We are redeemed because Christ, the good shepherd, has shed his blood for us. So that's a quick look at our Sunday school lesson for this week from Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. Also that little bonus section of verses 13 through 15 to finish up the story of Cain. God grants you every good gift in your further meditations and God grants you every good gift if you're teaching this to others. Until we speak again, the peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen.